0: Much for being here, and uh, what do you think of that music, huh? I, I love our, uh, our intro music there, and I want to thank Malin Scotty Malin Somerville, goes professionally by Malin, um, for for coming up with that. That he he put that together, he wrote it, or he, uh, he do you write music? I don't know. he, he uh, plucked it plink? Pr- I don't. Know. Clearly, I know nothing about music, and that's why I did not do the intro music for. Uh, our show here, but Malin certainly does. And a huge thanks to him. Follow him on Instagram. Anyways, let's get down to the show. Woo! What a show today. I'm so excited for, for this. Uh, today, I've got one of my favorite comedians on the show. Uh, for anybody who doesn't know, I started doing comedy when I was 14 years old. And I started so young because from about the age of eight or nine, every day after school, I would watch stand-up comedy. Comedy at Club 54. I watched Just for Laughs. They were on back to back every single day. I became a huge fan of comedy. There was uh HBO comedy specials. I watched a lot of those whenever I could. Um anything that was uh any kind of special I could watch on like the Comedy Network. Uh Comedy Now was another uh that was like a it was like the HBO special of Canadian comedy during the 90s, I think, maybe, maybe even er the early 2000s, probably as well, Um, but yeah, I've been a huge fan of comedy, like, basically my whole life, even when I was a kid, I mean, whatever I would watch always had, like, a comedic element to it, the after-school stuff, like, I would, you know, Boy Meets World, and uh, Family Matters, and all those shows, like, I watched more of that Comedy, sort of sitcom style, then um, you know, then cartoons or any of that other stuff. So, I've always been a huge fan of comedy. Then, when I got into stand-up comedy, I became an even bigger fan because I got I got to see the behind the scenes. I got to see what goes into it. And uh, the the gentleman I have on the show today, this guy, has done pretty much all that you can do, pretty much everything you can do in the Canadian comedy industry. He has been on Just for Laughs. He has been on CBC. He has been on the Comedy Network. He had his own comedy now. He was even on comedy at Club 54. This guy tours all across the country year after year. He's got an excellent podcast called Talk and Wrestling, and uh, this was a lot of fun, and I had a great time chatting with Mr. Casey Corbin. Thank you so much for being here. I appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, so let's get into it, man. You uh, you are a stand-up comedian, podcast yes. host, uh, originally from. Now I read your IMDb, which says you're from Renfrew,
1: Ontario. I was born in Renfrew. Okay. But I was raised in Iron Prior and those are rival towns, so it's very... Oh. It, I, play, I play off both of them, but I, I, I say I'm from Iron Prior rather than Renfrew. Okay. Just because of the fact that uh, Iron Prior doesn't have a lot of famous people from it. Okay. Renfrew has 14 people that they put in the, in the NHL.
0: Oh, okay. So okay. I'm
1: not, now you don't even know the names of all these hockey players. Right. But there's one guy by the name of Ted Lindsay. Yeah, I heard of him. And yeah, he's like this, in the top 10 greatest hockey players of all time. Mm-hmm. And he's the guy that started the NHLPA hockey union, which gets players paid. I'm not going to be more famous than te- terrible Ted Lindsay, Right. But uh, from our empire, I compete against a chip wagon. It's a famous chip wagon? It's a famous chip wagon in my hometown, and that's it. And then there's also um, a guy who's a Paralympian, who's a gold medal Paralympian who's won three or four gold medals. And uh, he's, he's pretty good. He's pretty famous in around my town. He's, uh, technically, he's out of the town now, but so am I. I'm out of the town now, but, right. but you know he's, he's famous, and he's one of the greatest a pair of olympians and sledge hockey players of all time so it's it's that guy a chip wagon and you chip wagon might be first
0: chip wagon that guy everybody is?
1: you go to an empire and you say if you're going to an empire you yeah. should go to wes's chips and everybody's like oh i've heard of wes's chips it's a chip wagon that opened in 1972 wow. and it's still there and they only do fries no gravy no no, gravy. no pogos No burgers. Just fries. Just fries. Multiple sizes. Multiple sizes. And they're the first people to ever do, hey, you want halfway on that? And then they give you the box halfway and you put your salt and your ketchup in and then you give it back to them and then they fill it up. So you get a big box of chips and you're eating halfway down, you run out of your toppings. Right. You got just plain chips in the bottom. But not at Wes's. (laughs) Wes's. Would you like halfway on that? You make sure. And even when you do it halfway, get your hands in there and you grab a couple bites of chips first, and then you hand it back. You know, it's like cheating at the buffet.
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's yeah, great. <laughs> and is there, a, is there a Wes? Have you met Wes?
1: Wes, yeah, the guy. The guy. The original Wes was a guy named Wes Dodds. Uh, he uh, he had it for for so long. Like he would, this guy would make so much money throughout spring till fall that he closed in the winter and, and fucked off to Florida. And wow. lived in Florida in the in the in the falls. I mean in, for the winters, but eventually he sold the chip wagon for very a lot of money. People who own the Dairy Queen bought it, so uh, you know I think that's what it is today. Wow. So it's, uh, but it, it's different owners. Same 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 fries. Like you know they're just the best fries, and I don't know what makes them the best, but they're the best, and they're fresh, and they're amazing. Wes's gonna yeah. It's so hard to beat Wes's chips. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
0: Wes's chips, then the the what's the other guy's name? This was he a swimmer?
1: Uh, no, no. He's a sledge hockey player.
0: Sledge hockey yeah, player. Yeah, so yeah. the Wes's chips, sledge hockey player. Yeah. Casey Corbin.
1: Maybe that might be the yeah. That's the <laughs> that's the. Role. And then and then and then on my heels I got Nigel Grinstead. Oh no. Yeah, he's 20 years after 20 years after me. Yeah. He decides to do comedy. You'd think. Maybe he saw well, maybe he saw Will Casey on the comedy now right. and said, I want to do that. A guy from my hometown, de- no, he had no idea who I was. He just really? started comedy and then when he got to Toronto, everybody's like, you must know Casey Corbin, you must know Casey Corbin. He's like, no, I, I, people keep saying this. So he didn't. No, he didn't. But he did
0: know Wes's chips, didn't he? Of
1: course he knew Wes's chips. <laughs> <laughs> when, did you, uh, when did you start doing stand-up? I started um, in nineteen ninety four. Ninety four. March sixteenth, nineteen ninety four. Really? Yeah, it was I my was first nine. show.
0: I was nine years old.
1: Well, I was cheaper uh, as I I might have been well I was nineteen, obviously. I was yeah, I was nineteen, I think. Maybe twenty. Maybe no, maybe even twenty one. I think I was twenty one when I when I started. Yeah, 94. I was born in 73, so I was 21 when I started. Yeah. I knew when I was 16 that I wanted to do it. I announced at my uncle's wedding. Really? Yeah, I I proclaimed that I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. They're like, are you going to college? I'm like, I don't really need to. I'm going to be a stand-up comedian. You know? They're Did like, you say that like
0: uh like during a speech at the wedding or just I,
1: my, all my uncles and my dad were at this table yeah. and uh and somebody, they were asking me all oh, about college or something like that because I was like 18. Right. And then I just said, I'm, I'm not going to college. I'm going to be a stand-up comedian and I'm probably going to be famous, so I don't think I need it. So, <laughs> and
0: and were, they, were they, did they try to talk you out of it? Were they cool with no, it? No,
1: they want to hear the jokes. Really? They're like, what jokes do you got? And I said, knock, knock. They said, who's there? I was like, why the fuck are you asking me? You don't know I'm on the other side of the door. And they're like, what? And I was like, who's knocking these days? Shouldn't you be just pressing doorbells? Isn't that what the they're for? And they're like, and then, uh, and then I, and I and of course, there was F-bombs everywhere because I loved Eddie Murphy. Right. And then my dad just looked at me and went, shut up. <laughs> and then that was it. I didn't talk about it. But uh, I didn't start until I was 21. And because uh, I was in a small town. Right. Uh, I didn't know there was a comedy club in Ottawa. And I didn't know about it until I read an article in the Ottawa Citizen on Norm Macdonald. There was an article, a big write-up, because Norm, in 94, was Weekend Update anchor. Like, oh, right, second or th- maybe SNL. even third year. Mm-hmm. In his third year as anchor. So there was a big write-up on Norm, being from SNL, uh, his bro- and how he's the fake news update guy, but yet his brother, Neil Macdonald, is the real news guy. Because like, his brother's like, Right now, his brother is a White House correspondent. Really? He, yeah, his brother Neil MacDonald is like a legendary CBC newsman. Oh, wow. Whereas okay. Norm is a uh, fake uh, newsman. Right. So it's so funny. So there was an about that. And at the end of the article, you know, it talked about Norm starting at Yuck Yucks, And then it brought it back back to Yuck Yucks. And then it said, you can try out at Yuck Yucks on New Talent Night. And Yuck Yucks runs shows. And I was like, what? And that's where I learned about Yuck Yucks. And I had the number and everything. I immediately called the number and asked how to do the amateur night. I said, come down next week and watch. I will talk to you about it. And then if you want to try it next week, you can try it the week after. So basically I went down, I watched, and I saw all these comics, Ottawa comics. And I was like, how are these people not famous? <laughs> like I did not stop laughing all night. Right. I was like, oh my God, like on my first stand-up show ever. I'd only watched it on TV, but watched it religiously. And uh, I remember seeing Wafik Nusrella and thinking, this guy's going to be on Letterman next week. <laughs> now, if you read me that quote today, I'd be like, oh, well, was he ever wrong? Right. You know, but, um, but no. like, like So I, I watched that week. The next week I went back. I was like, dude, I saw you last week. You're so fucking funny. He's like, oh, thanks, man. You know, and he's like the first person I met. And then wafik And then, uh, you know... I did my set. I went real long. I uh, got in trouble for going long. Um, I had 16 beers in me by the time I hit the stage. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was a power drinker when I was younger. But, okay. And uh, so I was... 16,
0: starting, started... When did you start the drinking?
1: Oh, about 6.30. Uh, about and
0: then the show was that? 8.30. Oh, wow. Yeah. Did you start there or did you start at home? And then I started,
1: started at, at my buddy's place. Okay. And then I drove to the club and it's then I drove <laughs> after the club to uh, Ottawa U and drank at their campus bar
2: right
1: and uh, and then I drove home so yeah yeah, I was uh, not a good person back then but I don't drink anymore I like, clean that up but um, but yeah it was uh, I remember I did I did well enough that they asked I said they said uh, I said can I come back and they're like yeah you can come you can come back like I didn't I was like I was like, they invited me back. Right. It was like that. I got invited back. I was like, no, I asked if I could come back. They said, yeah, because they need to groom talent. Correct. They need to have a roster, you know. So, yeah, you know, it was just like next week I went, did the whole. Well, I wrote a whole bunch of new material because I'm like, I need new material. And so I wrote a whole bunch of topical stuff, did all that. It bombed. Like, I remember uh, I did a bunch of Oscar jokes because the Oscars had just happened. Yep. And, uh, one of the jokes was like how, uh, I thought it was ridiculous that, uh, Spielberg in his, uh, Schindler's List speech failed to thank Hitler. I was like, without (laughs) Hitler, none of your movie would have been possible, you know, not one. I'm like, you know, the Jews really have a grudge when they don't even thank the guy responsible for the entire thing that their movie's about. You know, <laughs> Yeah and then uh, nothing. And really? Well, maybe back then, you know, Holocaust jokes. Leave those to the real comics. That's Not fair. to the Wednesday night guys. Right. But, um, you know, nothing. I did a couple other jokes. Nothing, nothing. Then I was like, okay, I'll do my story that I did last week. That I went long on. And then I went long on this one again. And the host was Scott Harris, who's a friend of mine to this day. And uh, But I remember as I was leaving the stage, he's like, oh, my name wasn't Case Corbin either. I was going... My first name on time on stage, I went by Buff Biff. <laughs> Why? Well, that was my nickname in high school. Everybody called Buff me Biff? Buff Biff. Yeah. So it's because, uh, you know, just Biff for Biff and Buff for Buffalo because I was a big Buffalo Bills fan. Yeah. And uh, I draw the logo Buff Biff. I had this logo Buff Biff all set out. Buff Biff at Yuck Yucks. You know, like this was like, am I doodling? Right. And I just like... To me, Buff Biff just sounded great. Sin bad, Buff Biff, just sounds good.
0: So the the hosts had to introduce you as
1: Buff Buff Biff. Biff.
0: <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, here is Buff Biff. Yeah. So when you when you when you first got there and were talking to the host, did you introduce yourself as Buff Biff, or did you say, "Hi, my name's Casey. Yeah. I go by Buff Biff."
1: I said, "I said I'd like to be introduced as Buff Biff." What and did I, they say? You know, Especially
0: like, Scott Harris. What did Scott Harris? Scott Harris went.
1: He just, like, looked at me like... Yeah. yeah well, I'm, like, I was dressed, like, so different, too. Like, the... I was dead sober a second time. Right. Like, they told me to sober up before, like, because I was just drunk on stage last time telling drunken stories.
0: So they told you not to do the 16 beers the second time?
1: Yeah, they told me to, to don't drink as much next Interesting. time. Interesting. Okay. So, so I, did, I didn't drink at all, or maybe I had one or two. But I remember I was, like, I had jeans on, cowboy boots... Uh, a red polo t-shirt with a jacket blazer over, with a red bandana on it. Like, I dress like Hulk Hogan, like at an award show, <laughs> where basically... At and, an awards and, show. and then I'm on stage, you know, fucking wow. making Holocaust jokes yeah. <laughs> that aren't funny. And, uh, you know, and then talking about telling a, a big long story about eventually, it was about me. My first story was about me eating a meatball sub at Subway. But you got so drunk that you don't remember eating a meatball sub at Subway. And the next morning, I woke up to throw up. And uh, full meatballs were coming out of my mouth. So I was so drunk, I thought I was shitting out of my mouth. And that was the punchline. It was like like very Chris Farley. Like,
2: I'm shitting out of my mouth.
1: And it was like just, um, I still pull it out every now and again. Just for like, if I'm on a shit gig somewhere. Yeah. And like, because it, he yeah, gets laughs because like the the story's long, right? But it's just like, and it's all punched up and everything, and and so I do it and I get all the laughs and stuff like that. But I'm like, oh my god, it's just, it's such a horrible like, it's so underneath what I would do usually now,
2: right? But right. as
1: as a, but you know, back then, I was the kitchen comedian. I would be at parties i am set up in the kitchen, and that's where set I'd- Set up
0: ho- like a mic?
1: Nope. Oh, just like hold court? Hold court. Okay, yeah, yeah. And people, the crowd would d- come through. I'd drunk him, you know, sit right beside the fridge, because everybody goes to the fridge for their beer. So, right. And your beer's always in the fridge, too. So you grab
0: the, they grab the beer and then just kind of stand around? Now, were you yeah. recycling stories for no, uh, no, different I, I, groups?
1: I'd, I'd, people would come in, they'd be like, are, are you going to do the meatball sub bit? Or are you going to do this bit? <laughs> I did, uh, I did a couple of Mike Wilmot bits. Uh, I did some. Uh, I did a couple of Sinbad bits. I did like. I, I knew bits off TV. Like, I just, like, oh my God, I'll do this bit, I'll do this bit. I was just sampling, like, fucking. Right. You know, sampling jokes off. I used to do Mike Wilmot's uh, What Would You Do For a Million Dollars bit verbatim. Like, oh, that bit. Oh, it would be like. Uh, I wouldn't do his voice, but now I do it. Nah, what would you do for a million dollars? You know, like, so the whole bit is about, what would you do for a million dollars? And he goes, he goes, you remember when you had a kid, you play that game, what would you do for a million dollars? Yeah. He's like, fucking, yeah, you know, would you eat shit? Would you eat shit for a million dollars? Yeah, I'd eat shit for a million dollars. He goes, it always came down to the same thing. Would you suck a dick? Right. Would you suck a dick for a million dollars? And then he was like, the way I see it, not only would I suck a dick for a million dollars, I would suck many dicks for a million dollars. He's like, he goes, I would suck 17 dicks in a row. Like I "I would fuck he goes, I would suck 17 dicks. And he goes, that's 17 million dollars. He goes, I could fly to the Caribbean, spend a hundred grand on mouthwash, and live a comfortable life. You know and he goes, he goes, not only that, I would suck these cocks at my Thanksgiving dinner in front of my family before I flew out and telling them my plan. I would, I would suck these cocks like a train seal and he was like, Mary had a little, uh, you know, and he'd, so he, so I would do his whole thing. But I never knew his name was Mike Wilmot. I just knew, like I used to watch every special that came out at the video store. Mm-hmm. And then I'd watch all A&E. I'd stay up late night, watch late night comedy, comedy on the road. Whatever and whatnot, Um, and then, uh, but all of it's watered down. Television comedy is so watered down compared to like Eddie Murphy, right, and Robin Williams and everybody else. So, I watched all of that comedy, and then they Montreal did the the dirty. They they released the nasty show one year, like in ninety one, yeah, ninety two maybe, and uh, that was the year that Mike Wilmot was on the show. And Domeraro was on it. Joe Rogan at nineteen was on it. Uh, I can't remember who else was on it, but I did all Domeraro's material. I did all Mike McDonald's material. I mean, my, my, Mike Wilmot's material. So here's the story. You're like this story. You
2: stop talking.
1: <laughs> <laughs> okay, so this is where this story goes. I don't even know what story we're on, but this is you ever get those you ever get those moments in comedy where you're like, okay, I'm on the right track and I'm doing what I'm supposed to be doing.
2: Yeah. Because
1: sometimes you might question the way things are. Yes. Because it's so tough to break through. Yeah. Like, I know you had a long time breaking through. I had a long time breaking through. You know, it's just, and you think, it's like, you always think it should come earlier, you know, but, but you know, so, so for me, the first indication that I was on the right track was... uh that was '91 in kitchen parties, high school. Now it's like '98. We're seven years later. I'm now an amateur comic. I'm a local comic in Ottawa that does well every Wednesday night. People started to know who I am, yep. and you know I I really love doing comedy, and I have my comedy friends now, and it's great. And we're in, a, and every year they do the co- contest, and. Uh, I finish, I, I make the finals, which is great. And as they're judging the finals, this week's headliner is going to come down from his hotel room, and he's going to do a 20-minute spot. So the headliner walks in. I was like, I think I, I recognize the guy, but I don't really notice anything until he's on stage, he starts talking, it's still done because I'm not really paying attention. And then, you know, then later on, he closes. What would you do for a million dollars? And now I'm like, oh, my God. Oh, my God. I was like, oh, my God. I've been doing this bit. Wow. I've done this bit at least 50 times. Right. Like, in, in, in house parties over high school over two
0: years. And here's the guy. And
1: here's the guy, and I'm on a show with him. Yeah. I was like, this is that's, that was the first comedy moment where I'm like, okay, I'm doing. But, but I'm not doing his jokes at that point. I'm doing all my own stuff. Yeah, but I was like, I'm on the right track. Did you tell him? You can't tell Mike a story. He wants to tell his stories. <laughs> We're two storytellers that we pair up, and then I just like, I always just to listen to his because his are better than mine. <laughs> he's like, do you want me to tell you the story of you copying my material? Yeah, tell me the story. No, no. But like, well, I did try to tell him uh, one time. It was like, you know, but he's like, all right, enough about you, you, you. <laughs> nah, I got you no less of this story. You know. Yeah. So, but uh, but yeah, I of course yeah I did tell him that it was like and that was that moment and it's just like you know like his joke was my was the lead into my meatball story, which was my closer. So like I did that was like gave me all the confidence in the world to go into my meatball closer and uh, you know and that would lead to me eventually doing stand up on stage like.
0: And how did you do that night
1: in that competition? The competition. Oh, I came fourth, that's what you say when you four to nine? Right. Yeah. The top three came to three, I came fourth. Do you remember who won? Jason Harper. I don't even know who that is. He he was he was contest boy back then. He would win every contest. He won every contest for like two or three years. Do
0: you remember in the early going, do you remember some uh, brutal bombs that you had?
1: There's um not even. Not like like well into my career, I had a bomb. In uh, a small town. And uh, all my family was there. My mom was there. My dad was there. Oh, Uncles, no. aunts. That's they all the came up. It was like a it was like $5 <laughs> show in Calabogie, Ontario. At a, sh- at a bar. Like, I was basically staying at my cottage. And I was like, well, they're going to give me $500. I can go in and do an hour. You know, and I, I didn't even hire an opener. I was just like, I'm just going to go in $500. Just, the- <clears throat> just me. Went in and. Ate a shit sandwich for fucking hour, like walked out, my mom came out afterwards. She's like, I don't know what to say. <laughs> She's like, I've never seen it that bad before. <laughs> my mom had only seen me like in theaters opening for Harlan Williams or CBC fucking taping in Halifax or yeah. she'd only seen me destroy. She'd never seen the flip side of the coin. And I was like wow. I was like, This is just part of the business, mom. This happens all the time. Stop stop crying. You're going to make me cry. It was like, be, like you just, I just didn't. I, my thing was, I bombed so bad, I just didn't want to go back in. Because sometimes, you know, when you feel guilty for taking money at a corporate when you didn't. But oh, fuck yeah. that. Corporates is not a comedy club thing. That's right. And neither is this. Yeah. You know, if the corporate club. You still did the job. You, look, at, <laughs> at corporate is like, you earned that money. Yeah. If you did a whole hour with no laughs, yeah. And you did not swear and you followed the guidelines. You fucking earn that money, whether they laugh or not. Yeah. Nobody wants to laugh at their boss boss in the room. No. It's so tough to laugh at your boss in the room, especially when the lights are up. Unless your
0: boss is one of those cool...
2: Bosses. Every
0: now and then, it's, it's very rare, but every now and then you get one of those bosses that is like, say whatever you want, I don't care, maybe stay away from like, you know, that dude had a something in his family so don't say anything about him but everything else is on the table and we don't give a shit go go nice those are always really fun and and very you know they're an exception to the rule but yeah it's extremely tough doing a corporate Uh, gig is very tough
1: well i just like corporates are like those are mental frustrations like going in doing them and even driving home after even if you had a great show you know you're like it's like it's like COVID. you got to fucking quarantine after. you got to wait two weeks oh. yeah. before you hear anything. It was like, it was like, oh, my God. I did one of these Zoom ones. Fucking ended up looking at a woman and her cat the whole time. And she's just like, <laughs> not impressed. Like
0: a Bond villain with her
1: cat. Yeah, that's what she was like. <laughs> a Bond villain with her cat. I couldn't figure out how to get the graph up on the screen to watch other people. And she's just like... This isn't funny, is it, Mittens? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Yeah, you're like, fuck off. Put somebody else on the screen. Oh, no. Brutal. I tried to dress up my room. I had black curtains on. I went to the dollar store like a, like a teacher. On the last <laughs> night before school, she's only got her own money to buy her own goods. So she's got to go to the dollar store to buy a bunch of stuff. Right. <laughs> I'm buying snowflakes to hang up behind me. And I got a Santa's hat on to do this show. I'm in a good Christmas mood.
2: Oh, wow. Can't
1: get it off of the woman and her cat, you know? Oh. No. Brutal. Brutal. And then one woman's like, is this show good enough for, would it be well enough for a 10-year-old to watch?
2: Did she ask you that?
1: Yeah, so one of the women that were on the show, or not, not, watching, and I said, and this, I said, uh, I said, oh, I thought we were playing this university, not that university, because it was for a university, the show, like a faculty. Right, right. And I said, I thought I was playing this university, not the rival university. Yeah. And that got a big laugh. And nice. I was like, okay, it's going to be easy. Yeah. yeah no, yeah. the next half hour, just, I had my list, and I just went joke for joke for joke. I just powered through. I knew what the half hour was. I'm like, well, that's all of our time for today, folks. I... Uh,
0: like like concluding a meeting?
1: Yeah. Yeah. And then two weeks later, I was like, yeah, I still haven't received payment for that.
0: Is that the not worst. the
1: worst? Having like, to call up for a bad gig? Yeah. It's like, because you, in your mind, I if I leave my house. Um, but I want to go back, like when you were when you were first
0: uh, kind of starting out, those first few years yeah. are always, they're very tough because you, you really have no idea what you're doing. For me, I'm very similar to you. I watched all... Comedy specials, Just for Laughs, mm-hmm. comedy at Club 54 every day. Um, but when you first start doing it, it's like really difficult. How did you handle early on if you bombed? How did, what made you decide, I want to do that again? Whereas most people, I feel like, if they had to go through that, would be like, fuck this, I'm never doing that again. When I
1: first started out in 94, 95, just to get stage time was like, you had to, you had to like win to get in. So, so this is crazy. Okay, this is what it was like when I was starting. This is what I had to do. At ten thirty every Wednesday, every ten thirty every Tuesday morning, I would be in my English class in college,
2: yeah.
1: and I would have to go to the washroom at ten twenty-five, wait till ten twenty-seven, and start calling the payphone right. and get trying to get in like a like a, like a radio contest.
2: Yeah, we're yeah, gonna yeah. take the
1: first ten callers. And then the first, if you got in and you called and you got a spot the next night, go down and do your spot.
0: This episode of Lease and Learned is sponsored by the Big Fish Steak and Lounge in Sarnia, Ontario. One of my personal favorite restaurants in in the world I was gonna say in the country but no in the world they have some of the greatest food I have ever had every single time I eat there I think to myself it will never get better than what I have just eaten and the next time I go back they top it once again it's that good if you live in the Sarnia area make sure you book your reservation for lunch or dinner or hell book your reservation for both right now do it tonight what are you gonna cook for dinner tonight probably something awful don't do that head on over to the big fish steak and lounge if you don't live in sarnia i suggest you make a trip down just for the food or if you're going to be in the area stop in and have one of the greatest meals you will ever have this episode is also sponsored by the car lot etc in sudbury ontario where they make buying your next vehicle very very easy let's say you go online you find a vehicle that you want to test drive but you can't quite make it in, no problem at all. They will bring the vehicle to you so you can take that test drive right from your own home. They do have the largest used truck inventory in the North. They also have the best selection of cars, SUVs, and vans. If you're like me and your credit is, let's say, not great, that's no problem, they do have options for everyone. You can also trade in your vehicle. They offer the best trade-in value in the north, so head on over to the website thecarlot.ca and book a test drive right now. This episode of Lease and Learned is sponsored by Cook'em Secret and G's Carpet Cleaning and Services for all your cleaning needs. Contact G's Carpet Cleaning and Services, and for your personal well-being, contact Cook'em Secret Sonotherapy with Drumming at G2 Cleaning Service. Com. I got a chance to actually go up to Timmins and uh, take part in the sonotherapy and the drumming. It was extremely relaxing. I recommend it highly. Head on over to g2cleaningservice.com and book your time today and make sure you get some cleaning done while you're there. Who was the first uh, big name that you got to open for?
1: Uh, Harlan Williams.
0: In Ottawa?
1: No, in uh, Calgary. My first tour in 99, uh, Harlan was supposed to play the week before me at the Yuck Yucks in Calgary, now Laugh Shop. Um, But then he booked a Tonight Show, so he uh, swapped his weeks with Andrew Gross, and I was originally supposed to work with Andrew Gross, And then all of a sudden, Andrew Gross did the week before when I was on the road. I came back into the hotel, and I was with that week. I was with Harlan Williams. Wow! And uh, we became friends. Obviously, that weekend, I would say we became friends. We definitely worked together, but then after that, we saw each other at least once a year. And uh, that tour, that working with him in '99, and seeing him like maybe once a year. And he would always, like, call me by my opening joke. So, like, my, so my opening joke used to be, like, uh, there's a bus stop on the, on the route in Ottawa called Tunney's Pasture. But when they say it through the muffled speech of the, uh, of the loudspeakers, it sounds like Chinese bastard. So it would be, like, so my first big joke was, like, you ever be on the bus and you're sitting there, and then all of a sudden you hear, that's duck and I'll actually say Chinese bastard. But they, but everybody knows, everybody's hearing Tunney's pasture. Right, and so then I was like, did he just say next stop Chinese bastard? And I'm like, I'm looking at the Asian dude in front of me. I'm like, hey buddy, I think he's talking to you. (laughs) I was like, why don't you get up there and Jackie Chan his ass? And then I'd do a kick, and I'd be like, I know that's not Jackie Chan, people. That's like Chubby Checker slipping on ice. And then I don't know why that got the ref, but anyways, that then that was the joke. So so anyways, my first show with Harland, he was he would he referenced Chinese bastard in his first joke. He was like, I was on the bus the other day, people, and I got off a of Chinese bastard, and I said, wait a minute, why don't you take me up the street to Portuguese clit hair, you know. <laughs> nice yeah and then so then yeah so then uh so he called back to my joke in his first like couple minutes and i was like (gasps) like i just oh my god he watched me like i was just like in awe that he watched me in awe that he did that and just in awe of his stardom like and who and how great he was on stage and how he was very similar off stage like those are my favorite people and people like to joke around off stage. Right, right. uh, That, you know, like, those are always the best and funniest people to be with and, uh, like, why would you not want to laugh all the time? Like, so, so him, he's all, he loves being on and I love being on. So we just would bounce off of each other and, um, that was in 99. Then in 2004, it's years later, okay, now in, You know, every year I would get something. Uh, '99, I got uh, a Western tour where I met Harland. I did an Eastern tour with B.J. Woodbury, which people are are surprised I even survived a two-week Eastern tour with this guy. Uh, Who is it? I don't even know. B.J. Woodbury is this guy. He's he's just this road warrior for Yak Yaks forever. And none of his jokes were original. They were all street jokes and other people's jokes. And, but he did them really well. And he killed every show. He looked like a biker. But he, came, but he was like the friendliest guy in the world. And, but he was also like, he would tell these stories that would all, always contradict each other. Right. But they were just the craziest stories. So anyways, I had a crazy two-week adventure with him and that tour. And then I started working yuck yucks, they started bringing me in towards Toronto and started working in Toronto and I'd drive down every weekend, do a weekend, drive back up to ottawa and uh so 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 then i got ended up getting uh before those weeks started I booked club fifty four i went down did a club fifty four then guy like Tabor? what you saw no i just i did a like i just uh, Regular weekend show. Okay, yeah. And Ben saw what he saw. Now, I know some guys he's made go through like five times come back, but he saw me once, good to go, sent an email, gave me back, he came up with a date, you know, so this is uh, 2001, uh, you know, and uh, got the date in the summer, like in August. Fucking everything's great. September 11th hits. Oh, fuck, what's going to happen? Luckily, my date was November 4th, it wasn't affected. Uh, and uh, went in with Club 54, and that aired in 2001. So it was like 99, 2000, 2001, like, like 98 was when I started re- made the first contest the first time that Mike Wilmot moment happened. Like in 96, 94 I started, 95 you barely got any stage time. Right. 96 I quit because of frustration, because every time I came off stage, the, the, the door manager, the guy that ran the Wednesday night program, would give me negative feedback and then try to tell me how to do better jokes. And was he
0: a comedian or he was no, just? No, he was a
1: failed comic that was now running the program. Oh, okay. So that did, that always bothered me. Yeah. So I quit, I quit for a year. And then. What'd I, you do for that year? I just was a waiter at a restaurant where I was already a waiter at a restaurant at like one of the best restaurants in Ottawa. So I had a, a great money in my pocket and a, and a heavy, I really lived a party lifestyle. I was right. out every night, drinking, partying. So um, comedy would come in and take its few nights a week. Like, Wednesday night was always for comedy. But every other night, I was always working. Right. So comedy was my outlet. And then uh, I got demoted from my head waiter job. And, Why? Uh, they said I didn't smile enough at on, on work. <laughs>
0: really?
1: Yeah. Uh, I, know I, was, I was critical about management in my shift leader notes. That's what it was, and uh, they didn't like it, and uh, so they demoted me from my head waiter position, uh, which is a pretty—it's a big step down and humiliating, kind of. So like, (laughs) you know, like fucking being demoted from head waiter. Right. Like, there's four head waiters, like four shift leaders, they called them. Shift leaders, you got meals, you got paid two dollars extra than the regular waiter, and you got to make your own schedule. That's the key. Yeah. You now, fucking, they're taking all that away from me because I don't smile. Fuck off. Like, now yeah. you think this is going to help me smile? So, <laughs> yeah.
2: So yeah, that that's, was. So that's that not going to put a lot of yeah.
1: smiles on your face. But I graduated from, like, I went to hotel restaurant management. That's what I was in the field I was in. And, uh, you know, I. It was like. Uh, that's when I realized, okay, from this point on, I'm putting all my focus into comedy. And that was like 98 rather than. Whatever, and so then 98 I got my first uh, from 98 when I said that. It no, I said that in like 97 when I said that, and by 98, uh, oh no, that happened in 99. No, it happened, it did happen in 98 because I said that in 98, and by 99 I was on my first tour, right? So then 2000, I got the other tour, 2001, I got the uh, Club 54. And then 2002 and 2003, I got nominated for comedy awards. 2004, I ain't get, I'm not getting shit. I'm not getting the comedy now. I'm not getting it. But I've already been in Toronto now for three years. Like, what the fuck? You know? And I'm like, this is bullshit. And I'm, little, and I'm depressed because you didn't get anything. You, only get, you can only get a handful of things in this country. Right. And I'm not getting any of it. And this is the first year where I'm, like, really down because I didn't meet any goals Usually it's like you put your goals out and you, point. you get one, you're happy. So I, uh, I wrote, I just, somebody said, hey, Harlan's coming through on a tour. That's what this story's about in case we forgot. Um, <laughs> Harlan's coming through on a tour, and they're like, you should see if you can open for them. You, guys, you said you were good buddies, and I was like, oh, yeah, yeah. So I was like, okay, so I email Harland. And I was like, "Hey, I, I saw I heard that you're going through you're doing a tour, through Eastern Canada." Uh, I said, "We work well in Calgary." I was just wondering if you need a quality opener. Uh, I'm available. Let me know. And uh, not even twenty four hours he got back to me. Hey, buddy, I uh, just want to let you know that uh, you're on Big Daddy's mind. So just hang in there, buddy, and I'll get back to you in a couple weeks. I was like, what does that mean? Right. And he's like, I, I'm on his mind. And so so then I was like, fuck, I don't know. And then a couple of weeks go by, I'm panicking. like, what the fuck's going on? And my buddy, Wayne Fleming, who is Jim Carrey's best friend and now has passed away, uh, he, uh, he told me, he goes, look, it, if Harlan <laughs> wants you on the tour, you're going to be on the tour. And I was like, okay. And... Uh, so then it went through because uh, all of a sudden I didn't know like I just thought I was asking Highland to go do some shows with him. I didn't know the tour was sponsored by the Comedy Network, which turned me down. No comedy now, and Just for Laughs, which turned me down. No Just for Laughs, you know. Yeah. I was like, so how am I gonna get this? I was like, because he wanted to be on the fucking thing. Right. And actually, he said the day be- he goes, the day before, um, I emailed him. He was on the Yuck Yucks Gallery of Stars looking through comics and he was looking at me and he's like, hey, yeah. And he put me at the top of a short list. And then, he, then the next day, I fucking email him. He's like, that's the universe, buddy. And when the universe said you're the guy, I already thought about it. and Then you email me asking me for it? Yeah. He goes, that's got to be done. So I scooped it from Joey Elias, who just for last had already penned in. Oh, wow. And uh, Yeah, I was very lucky. I got to open for Harland on a theater tour that went across Canada, or eastern Canada, five shows, five nights. So we went Belleville, to, we did Belleville, the Empire Theater, we did Toronto, uh, the fucking Winter Garden Theater, Ottawa, uh, Nepean uh, Center, the Thousand Theater there, and then we did Club Soda in Montreal, yeah. and then we, for some reason, was put into a bar, which I fucking did not do well that night in front of all the JFL people. Did not go well. Harlan brought it up on the airplane the next day. It was not good. Like, brought it up how? What did he say? What happened last night, buddy? I said, what happened last night? Somebody put a fucking road gig in the middle of our theater tour. <laughs> And it, it was in my contract. I wasn't allowed to talk to the audience. I had to go up and do cold mater- material, cold, like, strip material. Why? Because Harlan spritzes. Ah. Uh-huh. You could never open for Harlan. Right. Because you, you, you do what Harlan does. Right. Harlan likes to do his bits, but he likes to go into the audience a lot. Yeah. And go and work with the audience. So he doesn't like people that are going to do that before him. Right. Which right. doesn't make sense why he would have Joy Elias on that tour. Joey Elias is, like, one of the kings, you know. There are kings of crowd work that people know and recognize in this country. You're one of them. Mike Damber is one of them. And uh, Joey Elias. And Josh Williams is getting pretty good up in Ottawa, Ottawa too, with just crowd. Like, just guys that are so good at riff with the crowd. Yeah. You guys are, like, you know, right now you're probably the Mount Rushmore. Patrick Malia, too. We throw him in the list, too. But, you know, it's just like, you know, um... Yeah, so this is like really... So anyways, it's just strict material. And then, he didn't tell me either. I'm a huge Bare naked Ladies fan. His cousin from the Bare Naked Ladies is coming on tour with us because he's going to play on stage with them every night. They're going to do a little musical number. So now I'm in the back seat with Kevin Hearns from the Bare Naked Ladies. Oh, no shit. And all I'm like... Oh, just like, what do I say? What do I say? I couldn't even be myself. <laughs> I was all nervous. Uh, the next day... I smoked like I smoked a joint before we got into the ride to go to Montreal because we drove to Montreal for the show and For some reason I got talked about wrestling and Owen Hart and I went on forever about Owen Hart and his death and all this stuff and so then cut to a Month later John Doerr is walking down the street. and He runs into Kevin Hearns and Zoe Rabnett who was his, I think his manager at the time and uh, they start talking to John, because they all know each other, obviously. Yep. Zoe's now the booker for Just for Laughs. Yeah. And uh, they call, and John goes, oh, you were just on tour with uh, uh, Harlan. And he goes, and my buddy, Casey Corbin, opened up for him. He goes, uh, how was that? And, uh, and uh, Kevin Hearns goes, oh, yeah, um, he really likes wrestling. <laughs> and I was wow. like... I- and I was like, I knew I did. I went full Farley. I just didn't shut up about the wrestling. <laughs> like, and then yeah. we were, then one time we were at HMV, like when it was on. But he had a, he, I had a beard and I looked different. And he was standing there. And they caught con- the way it used to work at HMV the wrestling section was here, but the DVD music concert section was beside it. So he was looking at the music DVDs. And I can't even say anything to him. Because I'm at the wrestling section. He already knows I'm that guy. What's he going to be like? Looking for some Owen Hart videos? Like, what's he... No. So, anyways, that's a story. Yeah. But that's Uh, the thing is, it's like, though, I got, like... Harlan was so great in 99. That's the thing is, like, be nice to these people. Just be cool. Because what happened in 99 got me a tour that I didn't really deserve in 90, in 2004.
0: Is there anyone that you have opened for that was a complete asshole to you?
1: Hacksaw sure. Jim Duggan's wife. Really? Yes.
0: What did she do? She, Wait, you were opening for Hacksaw? Um, Jim Hacksaw Jim Duggan. Was well, he doing stand-up? He were, yeah,
1: because like a lot of these wrestlers now do uh, spoken word performances. Right, right. But the yeah. best venues for them are comedy clubs. Sure. On off nights.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So,
1: we're on the Sunday night show or whatever. I'm doing a tour with him. I'm, uh, I'm doing several dates with him. Jim Duggan, fucking, didn't even like him as a wrestler. But as a person, Jim. Really? Just a fucking great man. Yeah. Funny. Just a kind, kind gentleman. Yeah. His wife, hot, beautiful woman. You know, as you would think a good wrestler would have. Sure. And, uh, so I go up and I do my wrestling. I do my... Wrestling story, and, and we're already no swearing. She doesn't want any swearing or anything like that. She's his manager, so there's no swearing, anything like that, none of and all that. So I go up, and uh, you know, uh, we're in Belleville, we're at a bar, uh, club, uh, bar show, one nighter and uh, I do, you know, so I go in, and I, I have a special set for wrestling fans. It involves a lot of wrestling jokes right you know wrestling puns wrestling this, this and that like just stupid jokes and I usually end on a story about meeting the Undertaker which is a 100% true story about when I met the Undertaker and people often say would you rather have a actually nobody says this but you're <laughs> you're, you're you're like would maybe you, they will now but with famous people yeah what would you rather have a moment or a picture like, what would you rather have with them? Me personally? Yeah. Probably a moment. Yeah, I, you know what, from personal experience, I, yeah, I have maybe one or two pictures with Harlan. Yeah. But the moments that we've had are way better than any picture I could take. Like, yeah. And then an Undertaker, I, my camera was full. I didn't have any room left for pictures. But when I met The Undertaker, I met him and I, and I had, I knew somebody that he knew. So I was told to name drop him. Anyways, now I, we're going into the, we're committed. We're into this story. So you're just going to tell the Undertaker story, well, I right? Guess Please, this is yeah, happening. yeah. So <laughs> we so, can't, so we can't them, leave it. But like this. you just remember that we're in Hexa, Jim Duggan. Yeah, here. yeah. Well, we'll get back to Hexa but, and so, so, his wife. So, so what, yeah. So what happens here so, Okay, I worked at the Lone Star Cafe forever. Yeah. The owner of the Lone Star Cafe is a big old Texan by the name of Val Belcher, who played in the CFL. He played for University of Houston. Then tried out for the Houston uh, Oilers. Last cut, didn't make the team. Practice squad, no, he heads up to the CFL. He wants to play. So he comes up to CFL, has a seven-year career in the CFL, has his kids up here, you know, uh, opens up a restaurant called the Lone Star Cafe. It becomes a successful franchise, having dozen restaurants across the country. He's, you know, done very well for himself. I'm now working. He, he, I'm now working for him. Actually, he actually becomes a family friend. Is this where you you were the head waiter? Yeah. Oh, okay. He actually becomes a family friend at one point because he starts hunting at our hunt camp even before I knew him. And then I knew him through working with him, and we start working together. Then one day he comes up to me, and this is in, he says this in 97, the summer of 97, he comes up to me, and he says, Casey? And I said, yeah, Val? And he goes, I understand you watch a lot of wrestling. And I said, yeah, I do. And he goes, uh, you know wrestler by the name of The Undertaker? <laughs> and I said, uh, yeah, Val, um, everybody knows the wrestler by the name of yeah. The Undertaker. Yeah. And he's like, and I goes, he's, he's The Undertaker. That's it. Yeah. And he's like, oh, well, uh, I, I grew up with The Undertaker. We grew up together. I used to, we used to wrestle together and play together. Our daddies were best friends. And I said to Val, I said, well, Val, I love your story, but I don't think it's true because everybody knows The Undertaker's father died in a funeral pile of fire." So right. this guy... Did he get that? No, no. he doesn't follow wrestling. Right. He just knows right. The Undertaker. Yeah. So he looks at me and goes, his dad didn't die in a funeral pile of fire," And I was like, never mind. Anyways, why are you asking me about The Undertaker? He goes, well, if you were ever at The Wrestling and you run into him, can you tell him that I said hello? I'm like, yeah, sure, Val. Next time I'll have him drinks and beers with The Undertaker at the bar, I'll be like, hey, takeies. Guess what? I ran into Vic Bell about you know, yeah. I'm like, I'm never going to, when am I ever going to meet The Undertaker? He doesn't even do personal appearances. He's a fucking zombie, right? You know? Right. So, <laughs> so not even, this is funny how the world works. That says in the summer. Come November, I'm at the Monday Night Raw taping in Cornwall, Ontario, two nights after the Montreal Screwjob.
2: Oh, wow. Okay.
1: Now, that's a story in itself. So we end up with backstage passes. We couldn't get in. Like, basically, there was a guy by the name of Glenn Kalka. He was being trained by Bret Hart. He was a CFL guy as well. He was signed with the WWE, and he was going to leave us tickets for the Cornwall show. We were at the Ottawa Raw. I didn't go to the Screwjob because I had tickets for both of the Raws. Why would I need to go to the Montreal Screwjob Survivor Series? Right. Nothing's going to happen. Brett's not going to fucking get, lose the belt in Canada. Right. And that'll never happen. I can go to a Buffalo Bills game that night and still go to wrestling two nights after because I've never been to a Bills game. It's like a first Bills game. So I choose the Bills game. Wow. Missed the fucking screwdriver. Biggest mistake of my life.
2: Wow. So
1: the next two nights, I'm at the Monday Night Raw, and I'm at the Monday Night Raw the next two nights. So historic Raws. I'm at the Raw where Rick Rude they're is on. T- so
0: they're taping like two weeks? They do live robot. one week,
1: and then the next week was taped. Okay, gotcha. So yeah. the next week was taped. We had Rick Rude in Cornwall. Meanwhile, live on Nitro. Oh, that's they the had- night
0: where he's on both? Yes. Oh, shit. Okay.
1: So that's a legendary Raw. Yeah. So that's the night I met The Undertaker. Now what happened was, after fucking, we didn't have the tickets. We got, we got there late, the tickets weren't there. They are probably given out because they were comps to someone else. We don't know. We, have, we won't know what to do. My buddy's like, I just like to walk around and open up doors. Sometimes we walk in the back door, we just end up backstage. Fucking works. And my buddy has incredible stories. Like this guy, Chris, he, he one time he walked into the back of the Robert Curtin Arena, and one of the Hebners was like, who knows where a beer store is? He's like, I know. And then the next thing you know, he's in a car with Hebner going to a beer store, getting a bunch of beer for a Sunday afternoon matinee wrestling card in Hull. He's getting <laughs> cases of beers and bottles of rye. They, fucking, they go back to the fucking thing. He's allowed to hang out backstage the whole day. They even let him go in and sweep the ring before the fucking show starts. He goes in. He, gets, he starts sweeping the ring. People start coming in. He's doing this as he's sleeping in <laughs> the ring. Like the Hogan in Yeah. And, you know, and then he gets to hang out backstage. He gets pictures with the tag team belts and the ring. Like all wow. this cool shit. Yeah. And then he gets tickets for the next raw All from just opening just, a door. Just, just from fucking walking in the wrong exit. So he's like, he's like, come on with me. We'll just want to walk in. Yeah. We couldn't get in anywhere. We got in and finally got in a door that brought us into the lobby. But we were just in the lobby. We were like, what the fuck? You on?" Like, so then this guy comes up and he goes, you guys looking for tickets? And he goes, yeah. He goes, we're leaving, but they had not left the building yet. So he's like, you can have ours because we're in the lobby of the building. So he gives us their tickets. This guy owned the Harley Davidson dealership, and he was there because he loaned four Harleys to the WWE for the disciples of Paco, the DOA team, tag yeah. team, to come down on the motorbikes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, they, didn't, wow. they, didn't, they weren't their bikes. They were just local bikes. That they give a guy tickets to come to show if they could borrow the bikes. So they borrowed the bikes. They get the tickets. He so, gives us the tickets and the backstage passes. So wow. we have backstage passes. We get our tickets. We go watch the Raw. We watch the rest of the Raw. We, the, the, we don't even know what to do with the backstage passes. We don't even know where to go. Yeah. We're like, where, where, where? my buddy goes, what should we do with these backstage passes? I'm like, let's just go to where everybody would leave, the back door. Like, let's just go to where the, 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 like, you know, the cars are and we'll, we'll just wait there. So we waited there. Eventually, all the wrestlers came through. You know, Vader, and Jerry Lawler, and Chris, Brian Christopher, and, you know, eventually, Brian Lee, who was one of the disciples of Apocalypse, yeah. Stone Cold, come through. Brian we, Lee, was he not also the fake Undertaker? Which is coming into play in a couple wow, seconds. Wow, okay, yeah. Now, what happens here is we have two pictures left on our camera. Stone Cold's the guy. Yeah. I said, we've got to ask Brian Lee to take a picture. He's like, I can't ask Brian Lee to take a picture. Yeah, and then he goes, can I get a picture with you, too? And I'm like, asshole. So then I click, and I'm like, can I also get a picture with you, too? Click. So we get pictures with Stone Cold and Brian Lee. Yeah. The camera's
0: done.
1: Oh, no. Well, our start coming out. But when we get a cool conversation with Stone Cold about hunting.
0: We're talking about... Uh, uh, disposable. Is, is it, yeah, Go yeah. Back. Disposable camera. 28. Okay, yeah.
1: Yeah, so, <laughs> so, so that this is, yeah, this is like the 90s. Yeah, yeah.
2: So,
1: so anyways... My buddy starts asking Brian Lee questions. "Hey, Brian Lee, is it true that you were uh, the, the fake undertaker, the undertaker?" And He's like, "Yeah, I was the undertaker. Is, is it true that you guys are best friends?" Because I heard that you were the, the best man at his, uh, at his uh, wedding last year." I goes, "Yeah, I was the best man at his wedding last year, and I was like, "Where the fuck is this guy getting all this information? Like, how many times does he call me Jeans hotline?" Like, there's no Internet. Right. There's no way that he, that he should know all this stuff. Yeah, yeah. I don't know it and I know everything. And so he's just going on about fucking this and he's, all he's asking Brian Lee is Undertaker shit. Right. Because he's obsessed with The Undertaker. We met Superfly Snuka in uh, Iron Prior to wrestling show. He waits around until after Superfly comes out. He says, Superfly, can I ask you a question, brother? And Superfly says, yeah, brother, what's up? And he said, WrestleMania 7, you wrestled a virtually unknown man by the name of The Undertaker. When he pinned you for the one, two, three, did you know that he had the great makings to be the champion he is today? Snooker just fucking came off a match and a couple rails in the back. Yeah. He just looked at and said like, what? And then just fucking walked away. Yeah, Couldn't even handle that conversation. I oh, so <laughs> intense about The Undertaker. Yeah. Not even about Snooker. What a journalistic question. Exactly. Yeah. Because he loves The Undertaker. He's Absolutely. the biggest Undertaker fan ever. So sure enough, all the wrestlers start pouring out. Whenever one would come out, might have to ask an Undertaker question, whatever and whatnot. Finally, the fucking last person to come out, Undertaker. And he's got his bag on a trolley, which looks not masculine. Right. But... He's in a full fucking black duster. His hair is slicked back with the bandana, and he's wearing fucking sunglasses at night. And is he? And he's all in black. He's dead man taker
0: still, right? He's not a uh, biker guy taker. No,
1: but he's kind of dressed like bucker biker and right. dead man. Okay, gotcha. But yeah. he's definitely in character still.
0: Yeah. Is he part of the ministry at this point,
1: or? Ninety-seven? No, yeah. I don't think so. No. no. Okay. Okay. So. So he's still, no, he's, he's definitely full Undertaker. Right. But, you know, like, Kane has just come into his life. That's oh, okay. Recently, yeah.
2: Gotcha, yeah.
1: So, cause, <laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, because uh, you've got to realize, he just lost a belt at 97 SummerSlam to Brett. Right. With the, with the face shot, that chair shot on oh, the right. face. Yeah, 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 okay. So well, this is like two months after that. Yeah, okay. So, so Undertaker's the number one star in the company, human brother and he's two.
0: full cavefabe Like like yeah he's like full,
1: full guy yeah. he comes out my buddy sees him oh fuck he starts marking hard yeah he's like oh my god oh my god oh my god it's the undertaker oh my god it's the undertaker I'm like settle down don't be a fucking idiot just settle the fuck down he's like okay okay he's like he comes up and he sort of s- slows right down by us cause the, the garage door is there and it's cold yeah and he's like my buddy's like and he's like Hey, Mr. Undertaker, uh, how are you doing? Uh, big, I'm a big fan. My name is Chris Cody. And uh, blah, 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 blah. Big fan, big fan. I don't even say like, I'm just watching this happen. Yeah. He's like, can I, uh, can I take your bags to your tour van, tour bus? There's a tour bus out there. The tour bus, it doesn't say Undertaker, but it's a black tour bus, and gray tour bus, with purple clouds, of lightning, it just says fucking Undertaker sure like without even saying it that's the Undertaker's tour bus absolutely so my buddy's like can I take your, your, your suitcase to the tour bus <clears throat> the Undertaker just nods his head like yes so my buddy is leaving so now the only people there are me and the Undertaker your buddy took his bags? took his bags to the, the fucking thing that's awesome <laughs> I, now okay. why would the Undertaker just not go I don't know why, right? but we're going to find out the answer to this in a couple seconds. I'm so excited. So what happens is, I realize I'm standing there alone with The Undertaker, and I was like, dude, you got something to say. And I was like, fuck, i got something to fucking say to this guy. And I said, excuse me, uh, Mr. Undertaker? <laughs> and he had just turned, and the glasses are still on, he's still in character. Yeah. I said, um, I work at a restaurant called Lone Star Cafe, and I work for a big old Texan... And named Val Belcher, and he says, all of a sudden, glasses come off. He turns his head. And he goes, Val Belcher from Houston, Texas. And I said, Yes, Val Belcher from Houston, Texas. He's my boss and my friend. And he said that you guys knew each other growing up because you and the Undertaker goes, our daddies were best friends. And I was like, Yeah. That's what he told me. Wow. But then I told him that was impossible because we all know your dad died in a funeral parlor fire. <laughs> Nothing. <laughs> Nothing? He didn't sell it.
2: Wow. He must
1: have thought, I've, like, he dropped his character. Right. And all of a sudden, like, foul Belcher from Houston, Texas? I didn't even know he had a Texas accent because we only hear, <laughs> Rusty, right. That's the only thing we hear from him. Yeah. So he gets a Texas accent. All of a sudden, he's a Texan. He's talking to me. I pull out the joke. He doesn't find it funny either. No sales. There. I'm like, fuck. So then, all of a sudden, I said, anyways, uh, Val owns a bunch of restaurants. And he goes, he goes, man, Val and I, like, he, used to, he goes, believe it or not, he used to throw me around when we were kids. I was like, that's what he also said. He goes, oh, my God. I'm like, he's, I said, you're going to Toronto tomorrow. He's got a restaurant right downtown, right downtown, right near where you're wrestling, Star Cafe. It's all Texas home food. And it's all mother's recipes, as he used to say. Um, I said, All you have to look at, you go in and say you're the undertaker. they're gonna give you a free meal regardless. But if you, you tell them that you're Val's buddy, I'm sure they'd appreciate hearing that too. And he's like, You know what, man? I'd love to, but there's a tattoo guy in Toronto I like, and I got nine hour shift in his chair tomorrow. I'm getting all this arm done uh, from here to here, and it's probably gonna take about nine hours. So he goes, But will you do me a favor? And he goes, uh, I'm like, what's that? He goes, will you tell Val that Mark Calloway, and then he goes, oh, I'm Mark. And I said, I know. Which, I, which is not what I should have said, because like, he's now introducing himself to me because we have a friend in common. Yeah, yeah. But when he said, I'm Mark, I said, I know, because I'm a wrestling nerd. But what I should have said was, oh, I'm Casey. Right. Nice to meet you, Mark. <laughs> Big fan. Yeah. You know, but I didn't. I said, I know. Because I know. And <laughs> right. Mark. And he's like, he goes, you tell Mark, Mark Callaway. said, oh, I'm, like, I'm Mark. I'm like, I know. And then I said, oh, I'm sorry about my buddy. He's just, he's obsessed with you. And he goes, yeah, I know. I got him all over the place. He's like, I don't worry. I know how to handle him. And I'm like, well, he's coming back. He's like, okay, well, glasses is back on then. And he's like, nice to meet you. I'm like, nice to meet you, Mark. He's like, nice to meet you. Make sure you tell Val, say hello. I'm like, right, he puts the glasses back on. My buddy comes back. I still don't know what I want to ask you. I still don't know what question to ask you, man. I'm just such a big fan. I've always waited for this moment just to ask you one question. Meanwhile, a road agent comes with this beautiful blonde girl. And the beautiful blonde girl does not match the name of his wife that he has on his neck. Is But let's remind people, he's a professional athlete. There's a code on the road, the way professional athletes act. And I can see what's going on, that she is there to get on that tour bus to go with him to Toronto. It's clear as day. Right. This is why he was waiting. Not because he sensed that we were going to have a buddy in common. He was waiting for her.
0: Of course. Yeah. Of course. My
1: buddy does not read any of this situation at all. She's like, Mark, let's go. Mark, let's go. And then my buddy's like, I don't know a question to ask. And then my buddy goes, how are your wife and kids? Oh, no, no. <laughs> I, my mouth dropped. Ugh. And I went, uh. Oh. And then the undertaker took off the glasses. And he fucking rolled his eyes into the back of his head. And he looked down at my buddy and he's like, You talk to me. Uh, First of all, I said, you claim to know me? You talk to me as if you know me. And then my buddy dropped to his knees, and he was like, oh, my God, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. And then the fucking Undertaker just slowly walked off, and it was a cold November night, and there just happened to be fog fucking rolling in. And he walked to the fucking van. He just walked off into the fog. I swear his music was playing, but I know it wasn't. Right, right. But in my mind, (laughs) I could hear the music, and I could see him just floating through the fucking fog, pissed off, as my buddy just brought up his wife and kids as he was probably about to uh, commit adultery. Right. So did the girl follow him? Did she go with him? Of course she did. (laughs) And then I said, dude... What the fuck? What the fuck was that? He was like, I didn't know she was going to go with him. Maybe she's just a secretary. No! How do you not read that? <laughs> the Undertaker
0: as a secretary?
1: Yes! Oh, man. So that's so, anyways, I, that's my Undertaker story. Yeah, and it's yeah. a story. It yeah. has, I know where the laughs are. Me, uh, daddy's, daddy died in the funeral parlor. <laughs> yeah. Me and Gene hotline. Yep. Daddy died in the funeral powder. Yeah. Three big pops. Yeah. But it's a great story. Absolutely. And, uh, and, uh, and so, anyways, I tell that story. Kills. Fucking Hacksaw's wife calls me and she goes, Let's get one thing straight. When you're working with my husband, this is his first tour, by the way. And I've already been on tour with Ricky Steamboat, Million Dollar Man, Mick Foley, all, I, all these guys. I helped break in all these guys for a show. I didn't book them, but I was there for them. And so, anyways, um, She goes, when you're working with my husband, he's the wrestler. He tells the wrestling stories. Wow. You do the comedy.
0: Huge, huge thank you to Casey Corbin for being on the show today. And thank you guys for being here. Thank you for listening. Thank you for watching. If you're watching this right now on YouTube, it would be awesome if you'd go ahead and subscribe. It's really... It's really easy. You, you you click something, and then there's a there's also a bell or a, some sort of a knocker. I don't know what it is, but you can turn the you can turn that on as well, so you can see when we upload some content. If you're listening to this, thank you so much for downloading it, streaming it, however you're doing it. I don't know all the terms, but thank you so much. And once again, a huge thank you to Casey Corbin for being a guest today. Like I said, this guy's one of my favorite comedians just in general, I was going to say in the country, but no, in general, one of my favorites to watch live. Uh, once things go back to normal, when you see him in your local bar or theater or comedy club, make sure you get tickets immediately. Go see the guy. He's one of the best live. He's one of the best in the country. And I can't thank him enough for being here. Make sure you take a listen to his podcast as well. It's called talk and wrestling, talk, then end, then wrestling, talk and wrestling. Uh, where he, he sits down with a new guest every week, and they talk about, uh, well, wrestling. It's right there in the fucking name. What were you expecting? It's talk, and wrestling. And uh, check him out on all social media as well. Give him a follow, Casey Corbin. And uh, once again, thank you guys so much. Thanks for being here, and I hope you have a great week. Uh, well, it's Thursday. Maybe you're not watching this on Thursday, though. Maybe you're watching or listening to this on Monday, in which case have a great week. If it is Thursday or Friday or even the weekend, I hope you had a great week this past one and I hope the next one is even better.